From Washington, D.C., the swamp itself, this is The Week's Worst with Allen and Vadum. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen, Vice President and Chief Investigative Officer of the Capital Research Center. And I'm Matthew Vadum, Senior Vice President of Capital Research Center and Editor-in-Chief of BombThrowers.com. This is our podcast in which we dig through the news for stories that we think are the most outrageous, the most ridiculous, the worst. We do it so you don't have to. Uh, we're going to get to our number one story, get it, number one, uh, in a few minutes. But uh, first, we're going to talk about a scoop that we have that was dug up by the Capital Research Center, by our crack investigative team, uh, and that is uh, involves the plans for the inauguration and what some of the radical groups are going to be doing. Uh, we got our cameras in. We're, we're working on a, a film presentation. You'll be able to see it on the, uh, on the Internet. Um, especially if you have one of those connections to those interwebs. And uh, this is called America Under Siege, Civil War 2017, coming out right before Inauguration Day. Uh, What we found out uh, when we looked into this group, uh, J20 Disrupt, uh, which is a group that's uh, obviously J20 is a reference to January 20, and uh, they're they're planning their protests, their demonstrations, their riots, whatever you have it, uh, before the inauguration, during the inauguration, after the inauguration. Uh, and we discovered that uh, uh, as we went inside undercover, uh, that they are planning demonstrations outside Mike Pence's house. Uh, this is on the uh, on the 18th, two days before the inauguration. So we're talking about his personal house, not the uh, not the vice president's mansion that he'll be moving into. And also they'll be blocking or at least attempting to block all forms of transportation into the city and basically bring the city to a to a to a halt uh, and uh, have the biggest demonstration there ever was since the dawn of time or whatever. At least that's their goal. There are reports that the uh, radicals are expecting to have or hoping to have two hundred thousand people. We'll see what uh, what happens when they when they get around to doing that. So that's something that will be coming up, and uh, we hope you uh, will check back to our website to. Get that, uh, get see that uh, that material that's uh, coming up here in the next few days uh, before the inauguration. Uh, also, uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Here we are in the, as I say, as we say in the middle of the swamp, and part of that is uh, we're at the center of things. Uh, if you look at mas- Masonic uh, conspiracy diagrams and look at all the lines that connect all the major monuments and places in Washington D.C., we're sort of in the in the center of all those lines, uh, and uh, we're we're near everything from uh, from PETA, uh, people for the ethical treatment of animals. The Scientologists are just across the, down the street from us. Uh, the church that Hillary uh, claimed to be sort of a member of, uh, had she been elected president, uh, she would have been going there, I guess, on certain occasions. Uh, that's right uh, across the street from us. Uh, and uh, you have uh, the Masonic Temple itself uh, for the Southeast is right up the street. Well, we guess we, we, we have some interesting neighbors uh, in that uh, the uh, Jeff Bezos, who's the uh, of course, founder of Amazon, uh, owner of the Washington Post. Uh, he's moving into the Calorama area, which is about a mile from here. In fact, you, almost exactly a mile. You mean you're not talking about the embassy of the Republic of Kazakhstan? No, I'm not, which is also in our in our area It's here. such an exciting uh, diplomatic outpost. I know, I know. And you have to, that's when we get a, uh, it, it, at least it's a safe neighborhood because the police are patrolling all the time because of all these uh, all these uh, offices and, uh, and embassies and so forth in the area. So Bezos is a mile away. Now, it's a same neighborhood that uh, Ivanka uh, Trump will be moving into uh, with her husband, uh, Jared Kushner, and the Obamas will be moving in there. Uh, So it's a very, very exclusive neighborhood, as you can imagine. the Obamas, of course, are building a wall 
for security purposes around the place that they're renting uh, on uh, in in, in uh, the Embassy Row part of town, which is just proof that uh, that walls work. I suppose. And uh, the, the 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 place that Bezos has, it's get this, twenty six thousand nine hundred square feet. Uh, he paid twenty three million dollars for this. He bought it on October 21st through a uh, sort of a shell operation, so they wouldn't know who the buyer was. And uh, interestingly enough, of course, he bought it right before the right before the election. So presumably, he was hoping to hang out with his uh, his pals uh, and and particularly the new president of the United States. I don't think he'll be hanging out that much uh, with the president, as it turns out, because the election didn't go quite the way that Jeff Bezos would have would have wanted. Ah, oh, poor thing. Poor thing. And it's like a lot of the people that you know, they're they're the people are renting out their mansions uh, in D.C. Uh, through Airbnb. Uh, for the people who were coming for the inauguration. And interestingly enough, after the election returns came in, 90% of the people who had rented these uh, these mansions uh, uh, and other uh, other homes here, uh, they said the average is about 160 a night normally, but $1,000 a night for the inauguration, $1,000 a night, uh, 90% of those people canceled. Uh, so that means that I guess the, the, the election didn't go the way that those rich people who were planning on coming here for the inauguration uh, thought it would. Oh, those poor rich people. Yeah, I know. And, and the impression is always that the... Um, uh, the people who are the wealthier uh, are the ones who would vote for for uh, for the Republicans or for Donald Trump uh, and against the Democrats or for uh, against uh, Hillary Clinton. But in fact, we've done a study, and this is another uh, scoop brought to you by the uh, by the Capital Research Center. Uh, we had an op-ed in the in the Wall Street Journal this week, uh, written by Michael Barone, the the great political analyst, uh, based on our research, and this is now available on our website. And what it showed was that if you look at the top 300 zip codes nationwide, representing the top 1.4% in terms of socioeconomic status, uh, that the uh, the contributions there were 60% uh, to the Democrats. If you look at the big four metropolitan areas, the zip codes in the top 5% by socioeconomic status, that means like the rich and powerful people, uh, then you find it was 65% Democratic, and if you look at the big four central city zip codes in the top five percent in terms of wealth and power, or as they say, socioeconomic status, uh, that was seventy percent Democrat. And uh, the thing that uh, Barone wrote here, I'll just quote this this one little bit. He said, "Half a century ago, many liberal commentators argued that Democrats, as the party whose policies allegedly represented the interests of lower income Americans, had an unfair." disadvantage in raising money for campaigns because they couldn't compete with Republicans for access to the checkbooks of the wealthy. The data presented here make clear that that argument, regardless of whether it was valid then, has no validity today. And of course, we just had an election in which Donald Trump was greatly outspent by the people on the other side, uh, making the argument, by the way, that money is not the be-all and the end-all of politics that you can get elected without sort of selling yourself to the to the rich and the powerful, and uh, he seems to have made that point pretty well. So uh, that's that's a, uh, again that's that uh, study uh, that uh, article by Michael Barone is on our website. So why don't you start off with your first story? Well, I want to talk about how the um, the pace of violent attacks against. Donald Trump supporters has slowed in the last few weeks as we approach the inauguration. But we know that it's going to pick up at the inauguration, especially with 
perhaps a hundred thousand uh, dangerous anarchists and other radicals, socialists and communists coming to town uh, in, uh, as part of the J20 movement, the movement to disrupt the inauguration. As Michael Moore, the, the movie director, uh, I like to call him the mockumentary director, uh, said the idea is to shut down uh, the inauguration itself, uh, and, which will never happen, but or at least force it indoors, uh, as if uh, to suggest that America's Americans are ashamed of their um, of the forty of the incoming forty fifth president of the United States, Donald John Trump. Now we know that's not going to happen either. But the point is that these uh, uh, troublemakers want to cause as much trouble as they can, and uh, and no doubt some violence will come out of it. And, uh, you know, we might get some good uh, action footage of uh, police billy-clubbing uh, commies, which uh, is something that always uh, gives, always gives, uh, uh, gives me a lift. Um, I think that it's important to point out that the attacks on Trump supporters didn't stop with the election. We know that lots of people, there are a few Trump supporters who got out of hand and beat up Hillary supporters, very few. But there's lots of people who hate Trump who beat up, uh, who harmed, assaulted, attacked uh, Trump supporters. The most prominent of that of those was um, uh, last week the Black Lives Matter kidnapping in Chicago, where uh, 18-year-old white uh, man Austin Hillborn, uh, who has a disability, it's unclear what the disability is, might be autism or 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 he's developmentally delayed. In any event, he's uh, he's disabled and he was kidnapped and tortured, uh, possibly for days, by um, four uh, uh, out of control black youths uh, in Chicago. And they, it's unclear if uh, Austin Hilborn actually voted for Trump, but they took him to be a Trump supporter. And they said that they were doing the things they did to him, including, uh, you know, uh, uh, scalping him. They tr cut off, actually, on film, live on Facebook Live, cut off part of his scalp uh, and then laughed about it. That was only the most recent attack, but there were a lot of attacks before that. There was a man uh, who was uh, accused uh, or uh, apparently had made a joke that he was a Trump supporter, and that pissed off the wrong person in a bar uh, I think it was in Boston, and a couple were out on a first date, and it did not end well. Uh, the man uh, uh, was murdered uh, as a result of supposedly supporting Donald Trump. Uh, there have been plenty of other attacks. Scott Baio, the actor who gave a keynote address at the Republican uh, convention, uh, endorsing Trump back in uh, Cleveland in July, uh, said that he was uh, attacked by uh, another celebrity uh, for, uh, you know, for, for supporting uh, Donald Trump. Uh, there are all sorts of other attacks. There was a man who was in Chicago, I think his name was David Wilcox, and he was dragged uh, out of his car and then beaten up and then dragged uh, with his hand, with his arms stuck in the, uh, in, the, in the nearly closed window. He's dragged a little bit in his car. Uh, because he uh, uh, admitted to being a Trump supporter. So this sort of thing has become really uh, commonplace, almost to the point where the media is not that interested in reporting on it. Obviously, they had to report the Black Lives Matter kidnapping because it's just so uh, over-the-top shocking, and the fact that um, social media was employed to broadcast this torture uh, 
um, uh, live. And it's you know worth noting that the kidnappers, the torturers, uh, showed their faces, called each other by first names, uh, and thought they were having a grand old time. They may have been high when they did it, too, because they were puffing away on something. You can't tell in a video if it's marijuana, but it was something. Uh, and they were being uh, uh, very raucous. And in any event, they, there have been at least 24 anti-Trump attacks that I was able to document that have taken place since the election was over on November the 8th. And one of the things to keep in mind is that we have on tape uh, a guy named Kramer, Bob Kramer, who was a, um, a Democratic Party operative, somebody who uh, is important in Chicago, enough, you mean, right? Yeah, and important enough to have been to the uh, uh, the Obama White House uh, 342 times, I think it was. Right. Uh, and legislative uh, architect of Obamacare, he's e called exactly. And that this is someone who was talking about uh, bringing people in who would uh, start fights at Trump rallies. Uh, the idea was to create the impression that it was the Trump people somehow who were the the dangerous ones that would were tended to violence and so forth, uh, and. Uh, this was the impression we're trying to create. And it's interesting that after this came out, now you would think that the Democrats, at least they would be ashamed uh, of this and that they would not want to be associated with this fellow anymore. In fact, he was he was at the front row uh, the other night when the president gave his farewell address. And you could be he could be seen on television there in the front row. He was in an honored position uh, because, hey, you know, as far as the Democrats are concerned, starting violence, uh, violating the civil rights of your opponents, you know, it's no big deal. And this false flag operation aimed at making Trump supporters falsely appear to be um, violent hooligans was approved at the highest levels, uh, including by Hillary Clinton, uh, according to Robert Creamer, the, the, the convicted felon we've been talking about. He's a check kiter. He's married to Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky, Democrat, uh, Illinois. Um, yeah. So... You know, this sort of thing is uh, is fairly commonplace, and there's probably going—I predict there'll be an uptick in it with the inauguration actually approaching. Well, one of the things that I'd uh, like to look at is—and uh, this is something personal for me because I am to have known Jeff Sessions uh, for, uh, oh gosh, 30 years or more. And you're referring to uh, President-elect Trump's attorney general nominee. That's correct. The senator from uh, Alabama. Yes, and, and he has several strikes against him as far as the left is concerned. Uh, for one thing, he's uh, he's a southerner. Another thing is uh, he has a Southern accent. Uh, he's also from Alabama, so that's three things. And then, of course, the fourth thing is that his name is Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III, which is often referred to by uh, people in left-wing commentators as showing that he uh, uh, he was named after, of course, uh, presumably uh, the uh, one of the Confederate uh, generals uh, 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 and uh, who was who was very prominent, well-known General Beauregard, and also uh, after after Thomas Jefferson. Now, of course, Bill Clinton was named after. Thomas Jefferson, although he commented to uh, some of his compatriots uh, when he was young that he'd rather he had been named after Jefferson Davis if he was going to be named. That was Bill Clinton saying that. But in any event... Uh, uh, I think you left out Jeff Sessions' most grievous sin, and that is being Caucasian. Well, that's one of the things, and that, that came up when... there the, is no greater uh, a crime today well, against the, an political MTV, An MTV host, uh, Ira Madison III, actually made fun of him 
uh, because his Asian-American grandchildren were present uh, at his confirmation hearing. And, uh, and, and, and this reminded me, of course, of when Mitt Romney's uh, African-American uh, uh, grandson was mocked uh, by an MSNBC commentator um, uh, during, the, during the 2012 campaign. But the thing about Jeff Sessions' name, it's so funny because, as we all know, it's important what a person's middle name is. That tells you a lot about a person is what his middle name is. And so the emphasis on Beauregard, this goes back to the Washington Post during the time when Jeff Sessions was nominated for a federal judgeship roughly 30 years ago, and the Washington Post actually headlined the story where they attacked him and they denounced him as Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. That was the name. And now we see that this crops up. Uh, the, the Nation magazine, Leftist magazine, they call him that all of a sudden. Uh, the Daily Coast uh, calls him that. And, uh, and, and, and of course, as we all know, uh, uh, the importance of a person's middle name was brought up in the 2008 campaign. Uh, and that was when some people referred to Barack Hussein Obama. And those people were roundly denounced for their bigotry. And, in, and this was by the Republican candidate at the time, 2008, absolutely. John McCain. John McCain had to— How uh, dare you use my opponent's middle name? He had to renounce a fellow who introduced him at a rally who had used the name Barack Hussein Obama. So it shows just one of those things that shows you some of the uh, prejudices uh, of the left. So what do you have next there? Well, I wanted to talk about um, the wet foot, dry foot policy. That is the special uh, immigration status that had been in place for uh, 22 or so years since the Clinton era. And that was uh, that if Cubans can successfully flee their country and set foot in the United States, in other words, that's where the name comes, dry, dry foot, you get onto U.S. territory, you're in. If you're feet still wet, you haven't made it to the shoreline, you didn't get in, and they can send you back. Um, and it was a, a compassionate policy put in place uh, to, to uh, allow uh, victims of repression from the totalitarian state in Q communist Cuba to, uh, to ease their way into America, the land of liberty. And, uh, and because Obama is best buddies with uh, Cuban communist dictator Raul Castro and has been improving relations with the country. Um, there is, uh, he, he has now made it um, e uh, more difficult for Cubans to escape. And many more Cubans, as a result, are going to be um, uh, interdicted at sea and turned back. And, and we know what happens to people. It's a crime in Cuba to leave if to be a Cuban citizen and to leave without uh, authorization. So, you know, are these people going to go back to f firing squads? My guess is they won't, but they may go back to unpleasant circumstances. They may go back and not be able to find a, uh, a, a job. They may be persecuted. They could be tortured. They could be briefly jailed. Who knows? Uh, but bad things will happen to them. And uh, it's really shocking that a that President Obama would do this with just a few days remaining uh, in his term of office. And, uh, uh, you know, it's just the latest middle finger to Cubans and to Cuban Americans uh, who are, are yearning 
to breathe free, to use that old expression. And what some of the younger people in the audience may not know, uh, they don't teach this in history books, unfortunately, is that there's a lot of guilt among people in the United States because American elites were key in supporting Castro and helping him take over. Uh, the New York Times repeatedly lied and said he wasn't a communist. Uh, and in fact, it's so funny because when after he took over in uh, Cuba and started oppressing people, uh, sending gay people to concentration camps, uh, mass murder, uh, people fleeing the country in little rickety boats and any other device they could get to get out to sea. Uh, he, uh, uh, Castro uh, gave a speech at one point, and he announced that, in fact, he was a Marxist-Leninist, that is, a communist. And they confronted the New York Times reporter who had been covering him the whole time and kept assuring us that he was no such thing. And they said, well, what do you think about this uh, Castro announcing that he's a communist? And the New York Times reporter said, well, he doesn't know what he is. So this is how the elites uh, covered up. And then, of course, there was the situation with the Cuban Missile Crisis where uh, Castro, we now know, was actively trying to start a nuclear war with the United States. Uh, this fellow is a monster. Uh, the regime, uh, of course, he died this past year. Uh, there were some news networks that treated it as one of the people we've lost, who we cared for so much. Uh, and this was this was Fidel Castro. Of course, his brother is still uh, the dictator there. Uh, and uh, Until he kicks off, which can't be that far into the future. But unfortunately, He's very old, old as well. But unfortunately, because of the Obama administration, we've waited all these years for these monsters to uh, leave this mortal coil and uh, so that so that we would have a chance to have freedom and democracy in Cuba. And um, unfortunately, the things that the Obama administration has done have made that much less likely. Um, let's talk a little bit about the um, the number one story of the week, which is the, the Russia smear. Uh, and uh, in case you haven't heard, and I'm gonna I'm gonna clean this up. I'm gonna well, keep this it is as clean. the number one story. Yes, we're gonna keep this as clean as we can. Uh, but but we have to talk about the details, and and this is important. It, it really pisses me off too. Yeah, because I think leaving out the details uh, is a disservice. Uh, it it you, people who hear the the sanitized version, even places like Fox News, and, and they say, well, we you know we don't want to spread terrible rumors about people that aren't true. But on the other hand, it's the details that make the story ridiculous. Uh, because the the story here's how it goes. Uh, in September 2015, there was a Republican opponent of Donald Trump, uh, who paid for, uh, and this was a supporter apparently of Jeb Bush, uh, but of at least one of the Republican opponents of, of Donald Trump, who paid for Fusion GPS to dig up dirt. This is a firm that does research. They're the ones who concocted the cockamamie uh, defense of Planned Parenthood after they were caught selling body parts on tape, and they made it seem like this had somehow been edited so that it was unfair, and many of the networks just bought that story and put it out there. Unfortunately, that they were right. successful at crafting a false narrative. Right, when they were talking about crunchy, you know, using a less crunchy method of abortion in order to preserve the body parts, and the the woman who was the, uh, a big official in this was talking about getting her Lamborghini uh, and negotiating prices, which, of course, is not when you do when you're just getting reimbursed, which is what they said they were doing. So anyway, so they concocted this total ridiculous story, but it protected Planned Parenthood, which gets half a billion dollars a year from the taxpayers. So anyway, so, the, so this Republican, now this Republican goes to them, and gets them to do research on Trump. And they start uh, doing this. It's later picked up by a Democrat uh, by a Democrat who's paying for it after the Republican drops out of the race. And um, they dig up a, an MI6, a former MI6 operative. That's roughly say, uh, speaking the, the British counterpart to the CIA. 
named Christopher Steele, and he digs up this really interesting story. And this is the story that Donald Trump had gone to the Ritz-Carlton in Moscow. And while there, he was in the presidential suite. Who and, knew there was a Ritz-Carlton in Moscow, well, by the way? Well, hey, apparently Donald Trump did. And he found it, and he decided because that bed in the presidential suite had uh, been used by President and Mrs. Obama. And so consumed by hatred was Donald Trump. And so perverted was Donald Trump that he hired prostitutes to, I'll clean up, use the bathroom on the, um, on the bed as a way of showing his disrespect and working out his sexual Well, they showered disrespect all over the bed. Is exactly. that right? Yeah. And, and so the, uh, this, of course, was, was taped and videoed by the Russians, but uh, totally to Donald Trump's surprise, because it would never have occurred to Donald Trump, who has business operations in 50 countries, that if he went to a hotel in Russia, there, that it might be bugged, like the Russians have always bugged every hotel where prominent people have stayed or even less prominent people have stayed uh, over the last, uh, well, since before they were communists, even back in the days of the czar. So, so Donald Trump is completely blindsided by this. And then they use this to blackmail him and they turn him into a Russian spy. And all the people working for him are Russian spies. And, and uh, his uh, legal counsel even goes to Prague for a secret meeting. Now, of course, it turns out he was never in Prague, but nevertheless, this is what happened. And this makes it into an intelligence report. Gee, how did that happen? You know, Donald Trump kept saying that there are some people in the intelligence community who are trying to embarrass me by making stuff up. And now we know. Guess what? There were some people in the intelligence community who were trying to embarrass him by making stuff up. This is completely ridiculous. But it was the basis for a story that Harry Reid was promoting. That was the Senate major, uh, Senate minority leader, Senate Democratic leader, uh, majority leader when they were in the majority. Uh, and he's no longer in office. And he's no longer in office. But remember, he's the guy who said that Mitt Romney didn't pay his taxes. And then when it was pointed out later uh, that, uh, in fact, uh, none of that was true, uh, his response was, yeah, it worked, didn't it? It did. That's yeah. right. It didn't didn't uh, an innocent uh, gym workout machine poke out his eye as well? Yeah, I th something like that. It could have been mobsters, but we don't know because hey, we don't report fake news like they do. So so here you have the um, these memos that he's promoting. Now they get to John McCain, who of course hates Donald Trump. And and I wrote a the the hardest I was ever on Donald Trump in writing a column was when he attacked John McCain because I had worked for Jeremiah Denton, a fellow POW, and uh, so I came to his defense. But here John McCain, who frankly, has gone off the deep end in recent times, along with his sidekick, uh, Lindsey Graham. Uh, John McCain passes it along. He works with this guy that was the former ambassador to Moscow under Tony Blair, in, uh, the, Br the British ambassador to Moscow. And, uh, and they pass it along. It gets in this. It runs a, as an article in Mother Jones magazine, the left-wing magazine, an article by David Korn, a famous left-wing writer. Uh, also he, known as David Porn, because he loves lurid stories. Ah, well, there you go. Well, it makes it into Mother Jones in October, October 31st, right before the election. Uh, and uh, the, the, the regular media... You know, even even they occasionally show, you know, some restraint. Of course, that was before Donald Trump was elected and they had to make sure they brought him down because they thought he was going to lose anyway and there was no need for them to get into this story. And what they're doing now is 
Uh, they are after this story. This story, by the way, leaked because it was uh, there were eight members of Congress who were briefed on this, and um, that included the uh, the top the top leaders uh, in Congress on both parties and the chief people in the intelligence committees. Uh, and apparently, some one of them or some other person who was involved in the briefing process leaked this. So it ends up at BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed being a famously left wing uh, news uh, type organization run by Ben. Smith, a notoriously dishonest reporter who worked for years at Politico newspaper. And so left-wing that they refused to take advertising from the Republicans in this last uh, election on the grounds that the the Trump campaign, they said, is directly opposed to the freedoms uh, the, uh, our freedoms in the in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, and two days after that statement was put out, the CEO hosted a, a fundraiser for the DNC that was $33,000 a ticket. Uh, so I guess that's for the regular working people who support the uh, Democratic National Committee. Uh, and he's contributed almost uh, half a million dollars to the Democrats uh, since 2004. So so anyway, so here, here it ends. It makes it into BuzzFeed. Uh, and then it's part of this narrative about how the Russians hacked the election. Uh, and uh, you see that we now have this story out there. And it's, 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 a, it's a critical part to understand how they c- commit these deceptions. They leave out the key details. Uh, a few years ago, there were allegations of child abuse against daycare workers and in which the children claimed that ha- after the daycare workers had, had uh, uh, abused them, that they then got on their brooms and flew away. And the jury was not allowed to hear the part about the brooms because that would have discredited the story that the children were telling, which was simply what was being fed to them by the investigators. And they were repeating it back. They're children. They don't know the difference between reality and fantasy. So they were telling these things. So these daycare workers were falsely convicted. And that's what they're doing here. They're leaving out the details that make this story as ridiculous as it really is and only saying they're unverified reports. There are unsubstantiated reports uh, and saying things like that so that Donald Trump looks bad and they can bring him down, they can discredit him, and they have to. They have no responsibility whatsoever. And everyone knows the only person who rides a broom is Hillary Clinton. Now, now, that's not nice. Uh, so it's up to people in the media. I think you need to get out there. Please tell the details of the story so that people understand exactly how ridiculous uh, this story is. Donald Trump is not a Russian spy. The election was not hacked. The Media Research Center, by the way, did a study. They found 49 times that the major media, the three, uh, CBS, NBC, CBS, had said that the election was hacked. It was never hacked. The only things that were brought up. And what up, does it even mean that it was hacked? Right. It sounds like and, and, and that they broke into the election counting process or the, the conduct of the election, the, the election machines, the kind of fantasy that's been floating around for years about the 2004 I guess race. they you, would have used the Jedi mind trick to make all sorts of um, poll precinct workers uh, uh, falsify documents. These are not the presidential candidates you're looking for. And, and, and the thing is uh, that you now have, according to a couple of studies— the majority, or, or at least half, of Hillary Clinton supporters and of Democrats saying they think that the election was actually hacked, that the votes weren't counted right because the Russians got into the system. This is a danger to our democracy when people lie like that. So that's our show for this week. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks because we're going to take off for the inauguration so that we can cover it. We can be on the inside when all the radical groups are in town. Uh, we hope you join us when we come back. Please follow us at the Capital Research Center on Facebook. 
on our YouTube channel and at Capital Research on Twitter. I'm Dr. Stephen J. Allen. And I'm Matthew Vadim, Senior Vice President, Capital Research Center, and Editor-in-Chief of BombThrowers.com. Thanks for listening.